Well, as you can see, we're moving right through our summer series. This is certainly an exciting time for us as we get the opportunity to study the epistles. We're glad to have Brother Brennan Hooper with us, his wife Savannah. We're also glad to have Johnny Lopez with us. Uh, the congregation here has been supporting Johnny for two years. Uh, both Brennan and Johnny are second-year students. And I'm glad that you were able to be with us. Glad Brennan could be with us. And Brennan's going to do a great job. Uh, he's a great student. He, he loves the Word of God. Uh, once he graduates, uh, Brennan will uh, be doing a two-year internship uh, there at university where, the, where he grew up. And so we're thankful that he'll continue to labor uh, with the good brethren there uh, for two years. And uh, he wants to continue to preach. And so we're thankful that he's prepared himself for that. And he'll be studying the book of First and Second Thessalonians and Titus, or excuse me, First and Second Timothy uh, and Titus. That was a, qu- a trick question, and you did well with that. All right, come on, Brian. Well, good evening, everybody. If you would go ahead and turn your Bibles to First uh, Timothy. I thought I just had First and Second Timothy, so we're not doing Titus, uh, Titus tonight. So uh, sorry to get your hopes up if that's, that's the case. Now, as we turn our attention to uh, the books of First and Second Timothy, we are focusing on two letters of Paul that are very personal in nature. Throughout his epistles, generally Paul is writing to, to, to congregations with the exceptions of, of, of the epistles to Timothy, to Titus, and, and Philemon. And in the case of, of the book of Colossians, Paul had never even met the brethren at, at Colossae that he was writing to. But, but with letters such, such as this and in First and Second Timothy, these are, to contrast that, very personal. Notice how Paul begins to address Timothy, beginning in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God and Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. To Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God and our Father and Jesus Christ, our Lord. He calls him a true son in the faith. The, the relationship that he had with, with Timothy was that he considered him to be a son to him. It's very likely that, that Paul had a, had, a, had a major role in converting Timothy, as possibly it was in his, his, his uh, first missionary journey. And then when his second missionary journey rolled around, uh, Timothy joined him, beginning Acts chapter 16. And if you'll notice, in, in verse 3 of 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul has left Timothy, a young preacher, in Ephesus. No doubt he did this to, to lead them to establish some roots here in Ephesus and, and to, uh, to help cultivate and, and grow the, the congregation there and, and evangelize the community there in Ephesus. So, but what is the purpose? What is the purpose of Paul's writing to, to Timothy? Look at chapter 3 of 1 Timothy. Look at verses 14 and 15. Paul says, These things I wrote to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. 
Anytime that you have an, an author in the Bible saying, I'm writing to you so that, or something to the effect of that, we should take them at, at their word. Uh, that Whatever that thing in there uh, that's going on there is the main purpose for their writing. So Paul is writing to Timothy here so that he might know how to better conduct himself among the church. And what we have throughout the first Timothy is really a list of ways that, that Timothy can, can help better the church that they're in Ephesus. And uh, now as, as, as you scan through the book, if, if uh, you just look through the pages, we can easily see those things that he lists off. Chapter 1 is all about waging the good warfare and, and not getting distracted by any other doctrine. Chapter 2, verses 1-7, through seven, you, you see praying for all men, but especially those who are in leadership. Chapter 2, 8-15, through 15, we see men and women's roles in the church. Chapter 3, 1-13, through 13, you have qualifications for elders and deacons, so you can kind of see how these things would really relate to the church that, that, that Timothy is serving in. Chapter 4, verses 1-11, through 11, you have shunning false doctrine and, and clinging to, to true doctrine, to, to God's doctrine. Chapter 4, 12 through 16 is, is kind of a personal note uh, to, Tim, uh, to Timothy that the preacher is, is to be an example to the pe- people by taking heed to himself and to the doctrine. Chapter 5, you all have all about, about how to treat church members, honoring the elders, honoring widows, how to treat widows and, and how to treat the elders. Chapter 6, in the beginning of verse 1 through 2, we have servants honoring their masters. 6, 3 through 16, fleeing from the love of money and honoring God. Chapter 6, 17 through 19, you have instructions to the rich. And at the end of the chapter, he speaks about diligently guarding the gospel that had been entrusted to Timothy. And then when you come to 2 Timothy, Paul here is nearing the end of his life. And in doing so, he is both fighting off discouragement for himself, and he's also trying to help Timothy rid himself of discouragement, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. Now, as I said earlier, uh, I think we can easily identify uh, chapter uh, 3, verses 14 and 15, as, as, as you, you, you could say the, the thesis statement of the book of 1 Timothy. But I think there's another verse that can adequately summarize the entirety of First and Second Timothy. And let's go to Second Timothy chapter 4. As he's wrapping up his writing, look at verse 5. He says, But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Paul is writing this, this very personal uh, letter to Timothy to remind him not to get distracted and, and, and not to, to give up. You could say that, that he's instructing him to uh, keep his head down and, and do his work. Once again, Paul here is, is nearing death, so he's telling, telling him, Timothy, I, I'm not going to be around a whole lot longer, but after I'm gone, don't get discouraged. Press on with your work as an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. So now what I think, uh, now that I think we have a little bit of a better understanding of, of these two books, we must ask the question, what in these books can I take from it that's going to make me a better Christian? How can I live the Christian life better? How can I live it more effectively because of the things that we find in these books? Well, we know that these books are addressed to, to a young preacher, but we also know that the application there doesn't end with preachers. Paul is going to say in Second Timothy three sixteen and 17 that, that Scripture is here to make us complete 
thoroughly equipped for every good works, which obviously applies to the books that he's writing right now. So what can we learn that can make us more complete from these books? I'd like to present three key themes that run through the entirety of First and Second Timothy uh, and, and, and see how those things can help us know how to live as a Christian. The first thing is to have close relationships with the brethren. Have close relationships with the brethren. I already mentioned it, but, but these letters are once again are very personal in nature. And that is because of the close relationship that, that Paul has with Timothy. Every time Paul uh, addresses Timothy in, 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 in a certain way, uh, specifically, it's almost like he can't help himself but to add a little bit, uh, some sort of note of, of, of encouragement or affection in them. We'll get some of the marks of personalism throughout the books. Look at, once again, chapter 1, verse 2. He calls him a true son in the faith. Paul viewed Timothy as being a son to him. And the Greek word, you see true there, the Greek word also gives the meaning of him being a genuine child. It was as if Timothy was himself Paul's son. Look at chapter 3 and verse 14 once again. He says, These things are right to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. He desired greatly to be with Timothy, given, given their parent-child relationship. You can imagine that the separation between them two would, would be a, a painful thing. So he says, I, I desire to be with you. Look at Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 2. He says to Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So along with him being a, a true son in, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, he is also a beloved son. He is a son that he loves dearly. Look at uh, 2 Timothy 1, 3 through 5. He says, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did. As without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers day and night, greatly desiring to see you being mindful of your tears, that I might be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance uh, the genuine faith that is, in, uh, that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and mother Eunice, I am persuaded is in you also. He once again says that, that he desires to be with them. And I'll bet this desire was increased once Paul realized that his days uh, were numbered at that time. He says he, he's mindful of his tears. Whatever it is that, that had been troubling Timothy by extension, was also troubling Paul as well. And then he brings up his upbringing, that he had a faithful mother and a faithful grandmother. Notice that his father isn't mentioned here. Acts 16 and verse 1 speaks of his, his mother as being a Jewish woman who was a faithful woman. And then it says this, but his father was a Greek. But his father was a Greek. I think the implication here is that the father, his father was not a faithful man which probably contributed heavily to Paul being some sort of father figure to Timothy, while, while his, his actual father was entrenched in, into Greek culture. The average Greek man at the time didn't have much of a reputation for her being a, a very involved uh, parent, I guess you could say. And, I, and I'm sure there's more marks of personalism throughout these books that, that you could see. But the point is, you have two people here who do not literally share the same blood, but their bond is, is as close as if they were literally blood relatives. And that's because uh, they don't really share each other's blood, but they do share blood, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ. 
The only reason that they are so close is because of the binding blood of of Christ. Because they shared that that common love. They shared that common bond that they both had, uh, which went past any familial blood ties. Whenever we meet a brother or a sister in Christ, I believe that immediately there should be some sort of of connection. There should be some sort of love in, in that interaction. We should all have, have that, that natural love for one, one another. But I, don't believe, I do believe it should probably go further than that in, in the relationship. I believe that we should be letting uh, our, our relationships in, in Christ grow. If we were to, to unfortunately lose all of our, our, our blood relatives, our, our literal family, you know, that would be a tragic event. But I think Scripture backs up the fact that even if we didn't have any literal family, any uh, blood-related family left on this earth, uh, I think Scripture backs up that, that we would still have a family. Psalm 27, verse 10, the psalmist says, When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. And I believe that, that God, by proxy, does take care of His children by using who? His other children. As long as we are faithful Christians, we will always have a family that shares that common bond of being those who are redeemed by the blood of Christ. And we should be taking advantage of that family. If we aren't allowing ourselves to have those close personal relationships, I think we're doing ourselves a great disservice. I encourage all of us to be striving to cultivate those relationships with the family of Christ, and then the benefits will be great. So we have the, this example of Paul and Timothy and the, to show us what kind of relationship can exist within the kingdom. Number two, another key theme throughout the book is, is to fight discouragement, as we've already mentioned already. Fight discouragement. The word discouragement doesn't actually ever find itself within the pages of First and Second Timothy. However, I think the, 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 the concept or the principle can be seen over and over. For some reason, Timothy, this young preacher, has become discouraged. We aren't told exactly what it is, but something that happened throughout his life, something that happened in his ministry, caused him to, to maybe doubt himself a little bit. Which caused him, uh, which caused some to give him the nickname Timid Timothy. For example, look at First uh, Timothy chapter four, and verse twelve. Paul says, "Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word and conduct and love and spirit and faith and purity." So, what is the fact that he's telling him to let no one despise his youth tell us? Obviously, that, was, that would tell us that somebody was, was looking down at Timothy because of his age. Again, we aren't told about the specifics of this either, but I wonder. I wonder if this was it. I wonder if, if whatever was dragging Timothy down, I wonder if whatever was, was discouraging him was the fact that, that, that some older folks were looking down at Timothy because of his age. And I also wonder... Are these people Christians or are they, they non-Christians? It could be the, the fact that, that Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, don't get intimidated by the older brethren. Which sounds plausible to me. We still see this happening today. Uh, sometimes young preachers are disregarded just because of their age, which you know makes me personally appreciate this message. 
Look at verse 14. He says, Do not neglect the gift that is within you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on the hands of the eldership. Now this no doubt speaks of uh, the, the spiritual or the miraculous gifts that, that Timothy would have uh, held in, in the first century. His discouragement made him not to want to use the gifts that he had within him. And, and obviously now we, we don't have the need for those spiritual gifts anymore. Uh, but, but the application that, that we see here is that discouragement can lead someone to not want to use their, their, their God-given talents. It can make them not want, want to use their, their abilities, which is a dangerous thing indeed. Look at verses 15 and 16. He says, meditate on these things, give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. So how I would paraphrase this is once again by Paul saying, Timothy, you need to keep your head down, you need to do your work, and you will silence all of your doubters, and you may even save their souls. One thing that I lack at this young age is experience which is something that, that school can't give me, and, and that, that, that's okay. But, but even I can see that if you're face, facing harsh criticism, a wise thing to do would be to, to, to keep your head down, to do your work, and to let your integrity speak for itself. Or as Paul says, let your progress be evident to all. Now as we turn to the book of Second Timothy, we find in chapter 1, that the discouragement that, that Timothy was feeling hasn't quite gone away, even between the, the writing of these two letters. What we find in Second Timothy 1, verses 6 and 7, is a verse that is very similar to what we had just read in First Timothy 4, 12 through 16. Uh, let's start in verse 3. He says, I thank God, uh, once again reading this, who I, who I am served with, with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers day and night, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may, may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Once again in verse 6, Paul has to remind Timothy to use those gifts that he had been given. And, it actually, and I actually like the way that, that other translations like the New American Standard Bible uh, renders verse 7. It says, God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and of, of a sound mind. And another word uh, that, that, and, and that you could take from, from the Greek word in this also, instead of fear, instead of timidity, is cowardice. God has not given us a spirit uh, of cowardice, but of power, love, and a, and a sound mind. I would bet that Paul's knowledge of, of Timothy's discouragement factored in heavily to his desire to come and see him, like we already read in 1 Timothy 1, uh, uh, 14 and 15, and also in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 4. That just, just the very presence of Paul being with his son in the faith well, would motivate Timothy to, to lay aside that discouragement and to do what, what he needs to do. Now, because I, I have personally decided to, to spend my life preaching the gospel, I heavily appreciate Paul's words to this young and discouraged 
preacher. And I plan to to rely on them whenever I inevitably get discouraged throughout my life. But as we know, once again, discouragement is not limited to to preachers. I think we can all agree that that the Bible, throughout our studies, we can all come to the same conclusion that the Bible never promises that the Christian life is going to necessarily be an easy one. That uh, the the Christian life uh, is something that can meet many points of, of discouragement. One man who felt the sting of discouragement was the prophet Elijah. You don't necessarily need to turn there right now. But in 1 Kings 18, Elijah is at what could have been the peak of his prophetic ministry. He defeats uh, the prophets of Baal on top of Mount Mount Carmel. Uh, he, he, he proves that, that Yahweh is God and Baal is nothing but their imaginary friend. And King Ahab, along with Elijah, witnesses that the power of, of God as he puts to end the drought that Elijah had proclaimed in, in chapter 17. So no doubt, Elijah is feeling as if he's on top of the world. But then you just turn to chapter 18. And we see in, in uh, King Ahab's wife Jezebel the wrong reaction. She, uh, she's outraged by, by the death of the prophets of Baal and she calls for Elijah's head to which Elijah cries out to God it is enough now Lord take my life for I am no better than my father's and in, and in uh, not so many words but through actions God is going to tell him no I'm not, I'm not going to do that rather than, than taking his life God provides food and water and tells him to, to rest and guess what happens after that Elijah's ministry continues. God provided the the means for Elijah to overcome discouragement. Now as we turn to the Word of God, we need to realize that God also has given us the means to do away with with discouragement. When we get discouraged, like, like God spoke to Elijah, God speaks to us through His Word to get us through what we need to get through. We, we can find comfort in, in, in the God of, of, of all comforts who, who comforts us in our tribulation, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. We can go to places like, like 1 Kings 18 and 19. We can go to places like 1 and 2 Timothy. And we can see examples of, of godly men who were discouraged but they still endured through that, that discouragement. And not only do we, uh, do we uh, get through a trial like discouragement, but you go to places like James chapter 1, verses 2 through 8, and you see that whenever we overcome a trial like being discouraged, that we are better for it. We grow and we become mature because of it. So when we face discouragement, find comfort in the Word of God to persevere. We see that, that uh, from this we can learn that we can have close relationships with the brethren and that we need to be fighting discouragement. And then third, do not entangle yourself with the affairs of this life. Don't entangle, entangle yourself with the affairs of this life. This point comes from Second Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. It's starting in verse 1. Paul says, You therefore, my son... Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you you have heard from me among many witnesses, commend these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Timothy, don't get overly involved with the affairs of this life. 
again, this is another instance where you could say that, that Paul is telling him to, to put his head down and, and to be busy in, in his work. Don't get distracted by those physical things, but focus on the spiritual nature of, of your ministry. And he uses this example of a soldier. A soldier should not have time for civilian activities. In a like manner, uh, we, are, we are engaged in, in, in a spiritual warfare, Second Corinthians chapter 10, uh, 3-4, First Timothy 1 and verse 18. And because of that, we don't have time to be involved in, in the, the worldly activities that, that go on. <laughs> We've got something much more important to be doing. And throughout these books, Paul, uh, Paul lays out certain things that, that could be uh, a temptation to, to, to be involved with, to, to get yourself in, entangled with. I'd like to examine three of those things that Paul warns us not to entangle ourselves in. The first thing is to not entangle yourself with false doctrine. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Once again, beginning in verse 1 here, Paul says, Now the Spirit says expressively that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrine of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature... Of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word God uh, and, and by prayer. Now, you know, my personal opinion on, on, on this section, I believe that this is pointing directly towards uh, the, the Catholic Church in, in the future and its various false doctrines, but that's, that's not here, here nor there. Regardless, there are going to be a lot of people who are going to be teaching things that, that go totally against the, the good doctrine, God's doctrine, that you can read about verses 6 through 11. These doctrines are not characterized by God, but they are characterized as uh, being demonic by, by, by the demons. And the desire not to get involved in those things should be something that, that should be obvious. Paul said in Romans 1 verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for all who believe to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We see that there, that there is no salvation found outside of the gospel. And since these doctrines were, were contradict the gospel, since they were contrary to the gospel, what logically follows is that these things were contrary to one's salvation. It, is, it isn't the sound doctrine that we read about in, in the book of Titus. If it's not that, then it's worthless doctrine. In fact, Paul would, would speak about this directly in Ephesians 5 verse 11 where he says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. So don't get entangled with, with, with false doctrine. Next, don't get entangled with the love of money. This is coming from, from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. Paul says, Now godliness with contentment is, is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is, is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and have pierced themselves through with, with many sorrows. 
as a side note, uh, as you just read through through this section, notice that it isn't money itself that is, that is the root of all, uh, all kinds of evil, but it's rather the love of or the dependence on money that is the root of all kinds of evil. And similar to, to not taking heed to, to false doctrine, those who have that love for money, those who have that, that dependence on money, also do so to their own destruction. They have willingly added unnecessary sorrows to their life. And the reason that, that they are doing so to their own destruction is because they are relying on something that will not last. They are relying on, on something that, that in the end will only disappoint. Notice once again from verse 7. He says, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we carry nothing out. This is similar to, to other passages of Scripture, particularly in, in the Old Testament. Solomon was speaking in Ecclesiastes 6 and verse 2 about uh, the rich man that, that God has blessed. But once that man dies... <clears throat> foreigners are going to consume everything that he's worked for in his life. Psalm 49, verse 10, the, one of the sons of Korah says, Likewise the fool and the senseless person perish, and they leave their wealth to others. Wealth is something that, that will not last. It's something that, that we cannot find ourselves re, uh, relying on. Contrary to riches, God is to be relied on because He is 100% consistent. James 1 and verse 17, Every good and every perfect gift comes down from God, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation, nor is there any shadow of turning. So if we put the value of worldly riches into perspective, if we are looking at those worldly riches for really what they are, then we can see that to rely on money or really anything outside of God is is totally illogical. So don't entangle yourself with the love of money. Finally, don't entangle yourself with empty preaching. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4 once again. Paul is going to to close his letters to Timothy with a final charge to this young preacher. Look at verses 1 through 5. Paul says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing in His kingdom. Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but according to their own desires because they have itching ears they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, preach the word because there's going to come a time where people aren't going to appreciate that message. Preach even though there's going to be people who aren't going to care what you're going to have to say. Notice that some are going to have itching ears and that they're going to heap up for themselves teachers. So to have itching ears is, is to desire to hear a message that, that, that you like. Something that uh, really resonates with, with you. Something that sounds good to you. The Word of God does not attract them, so they're going to acquire people who are going to tell them what they want to hear. And these types of, of, of teachers are, were nothing new even back in, in Timothy's day. You go back to the, the, the prophet Jeremiah. He kept on preaching the Word of God. 
he kept on preaching that that there's going to come 70 years where Babylon's going to come and carry away Israel and they're going to keep them in captivity. However, Israel didn't care much for that message, did they? Instead, they heaped up for themselves prophets who were going to itch their ears for them. But the problem was... They were preaching a message of peace when there was absolutely no such thing as peace at the time. Twice in the book of Jeremiah, God rebukes these prophets because they, they were pre- preaching peace at peace whenever there was no peace. Jeremiah 6.14, Jeremiah 8 and verse 11. They were preaching a, a message that was clearly false. But Israel didn't care. They wanted to hear what they wanted to hear. So the, the idea of, of picking those teachers who are going to, to tell you what you want to hear is nothing new. However, Paul tells Timothy to preach truth in the face of these people who love to hear empty preaching. Paul said in, in Acts 20 verse 27, speaking to the Ephesian elders, that he had not shunned to declare unto them the whole counsel of God. There are going to be a lot of teachings. There are a lot of teachings going on right now that sound really nice. There is a lot of teaching that, that, that does itch those, or scratch those itching ears. However, if it doesn't include the whole counsel of God like Paul talked about, it is useless. It has absolutely no substance to it. And this empty preaching in 2 Timothy 4, verse 1-5 through 5, is just as destructive as, as false preaching that we read about in 1 Timothy 4, 1-5. through 5. So don't get entangled with, with empty preaching. So three affairs of this life that we can get entangled with, but that we should not. Number one is false doctrine. Number two, the love of money. Number three, empty preaching. There are so many things that can distract us from what we're supposed to be doing. There are so many things that can distract us from living as God has called us to live. But let us always try to be progressing and not regressing. Paul said in Philippians 3, verse 14, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So these have been three themes that I believe you can follow throughout the entirety of First and Second Timothy that we can use to further and to more effectively live the Christian life. Number one, have close relationships with your brethren. Number two, fight discouragement whenever it comes to you because it will. And number three, do not entangle yourselves with the affairs of this life. <clears throat> it has been my hope that, that these things have helped us in our, in our Christian walks as, as, we, uh, as we've been, been called to do. We should always be thankful for the, the examples of Paul and Timothy and all that we can learn from them. The invitation that this evening is open for all who need to respond. Perhaps it is that, that you have questions about your eternal salvation. Because of this word, because of the Bible, we have those answers. Maybe it is that, that you are of the body of Christ, but you're having a, a tough time keeping the course. There's one more thing from, from 2 Timothy chapter 4 that I want to bring out uh, from, the, from the example of Paul. Right before he's, he's about to, to go to his death, he says these words in 2 Timothy chapter 4, 6-3. He says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have run the race. I have kept the faith. Finally there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which uh, the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me, and not only to me, but all who have loved his appearing. Paul had, had run his race. 
and He was going to go on to His reward. It is our responsibility to be remaining faithful every day, walking in the light as, as God is in the light, First John 1 verse 7, if we, like Paul, also want to be crowned with that crown of righteousness. So if it is that you are struggling in maybe some of the areas that we've discussed this evening, uh, the, the, the church of the living God, First Timothy 3.15, is here to, to be here for you. They are here uh, to pray for you. If you have any need this evening, please come now as we stand and as we sing.